0: Today, we get to dive into the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Now, I don't know what your COVID-19 experience has been like, but it's one of what I would call forced simplicity. At first, it was probably a little bit tricky. How do I get my hands on things that I think I need? And then eventually, we kind of got the hang of it. And while there are plenty of frustrations to go along with that particular era of time, and we're still even working those out, we went through a time of what you might call forced simplicity. I realized as we've gone through this that I don't need as much as I think I need. And as simple of a life as I thought I was living at the time, I came to realize that I actually wasn't living a very simple life at all. I noticed it in the pocketbook for one thing, that we were blessed, I'm blessed to have a job, I'm very thankful for that, but what I realized was I spent a lot of money on gasoline every month. I wasn't driving anywhere, and so all of a sudden... I had extra money sitting in my account. So we tried to give some of that away. I also realized that as much as we thought we didn't eat out very much, when you're absolutely not eating out at all, it really does show up. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, this has gotten to be really interesting. And what it did was it showed me my habits, not the way that they were in my mind, but the way they actually were. My schedule was different. My sleeping habits were different. My exercise regimen, or lack thereof, was different. Everything from the inability to get haircuts to uh, the way that we shop, everything changed. It all came down to kind of a screeching halt, didn't it? And so there, what we realize is that when all that stuff kind of gets stripped away and all of our hyperactivity, the driving from one place to another and the constant kind of frenetic activity that we engage in on a daily basis, it shows us a lot about ourselves. The Christian discipline of simplicity really is an inward reality that reflects itself outwardly. So everything that we're going to say today, even when we talk about ways that we can organize our lives and order our lives towards simplicity, we need to remember that it really begins on the inside, that we can tinker around the edges and we can work on habits and things like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the heart is right. And that's what God is interested in the most. So if it is right on the inside, we will automatically begin to see those things reflected on the outside i have actually kind of felt oddly centered during this time and i can't really put my finger on why other than the fact that a lot of my bad habits had been forced to stop now of course things have been chaotic for me just like they have for you and and for everybody else that's gone through this strange time but i guess sometimes the epiphany becomes i realize now that the chaos that i go through is more a reflection of chaos internally and that it matters less how chaotic things are when I'm anchored firmly on the inside. So the Christian discipline of simplicity, again, is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Now, both of those aspects are very, very essential. We're going to deceive ourselves if we think that we can just tweak things or we can just kind of you know, go like Marie Kondo on everything and everything's going to be fine and we'll have inner peace because we tweaked all these things on the outside. The biblical view of simplicity is that it actually begins in here. It must start here, or else whatever's being worked on out here doesn't really matter and is highly unlikely to last. We deceive ourselves if we think that we can possess the inward reality without experiencing it outwardly as well. So to attempt to just rearrange one without the other is a real problem and will lead us to lives that are not characterized by simplicity. In his book, Celebration of Disappoint, and a lot of the the steps and things that I'm using today come from, from this particular book, Richard Foster notes, simplicity begins in inward focus and unity. It means to live out of what Thomas Kelly calls the divine center. Soren Kierkegaard captured it properly when he gave this title to his profound book, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. It's that willing of one thing where your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength are aimed at one particular thing. That is what simplicity means. So when we talk about the discipline of of simplicity, that's what we're aiming for. That purity of heart that expresses itself in the simple adoration of God and and the pursuit constantly of the kingdom of God. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 86. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I get that part right there. That's very, very key. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Simplicity is that right there. It's having a united heart that leads to a united life. It's wanting one thing. I'm gonna say it again. Simplicity is about having a united heart that leads to a united life. It's wanting one thing. It's that place in your heart, creating a, a heart that is so pure and devoted to God that everything around you, your priorities, your time, your resources, your, everything is ordered by that one thing in your heart that unites your heart. And from that, you get a united life. Speech, for instance, becomes truthful and honest. The lust for status and position is gone because we don't need it anymore. We cease from showy extravagance, not on the grounds of being unable to afford it, but on the grounds of principle. Our goods become available to others because we don't depend on them, and we're not bound by a lust for those either. We join Richard Byrd, who after months alone in the Arctic, all by himself, recorded in his journal, he said, I am learning that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. There is a profound connection in our country between a lack of simplicity and affluence. Because of all the things that we have, we have the ability to make our lives almost as complicated as we want them to be. And we often have this assumption that our life would be easier the more we acquire things, but that certainly doesn't match the Bible's teaching on it, and where Jesus says, for instance, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, after that, all things are possible with God, and so he's not saying that it's impossible. He's just saying it's very hard, that, when that wealth has a tendency to make us less devoted, less united of heart in how we approach life. So I want us to, as we read this next text from Matthew chapter 6, and we hear Jesus teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount, notice the tie between anxiety or lack thereof and resources, financial resources. This is Matthew 6, 25-34. Follow along. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying and adding a single hour to your life, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, here's the united heart, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seeking the kingdom first, having the purity of heart to will one thing. To say, my heart is all about the kingdom of God. And then from that place, going about living your life. That one thing then becomes, again, the prism through which we see the world, through which we build our actions. A book I think that would do a lot of us a lot of good is a book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. In it, he draws a distinction between minimalists and others. Now, minimalism is not the same as what the Bible is talking about in terms of simplicity, but there are some similarities. Here's what he says about minimalists. He says, minimalists don't mind missing out on small things. What worries them much more is diminishing the large things they already know for sure make a good life. You hear what he's saying? The reason that people pare back things, they try to live more simply, is because they understand that they run the risk of taking away from things that really, really are important. So for Christians, there's one large thing that we know is important jesus just gave it to us it's the kingdom of god seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well so it's different than minimalism it's not just simply a matter of scaling back on things and trying to you know buy a subscribe to real simple magazine and you know doing these little things and folding our clothes the right way or tossing out everything that doesn't spark joy in our house and those kinds of things those are temporary solutions Biblical simplicity is about honoring God through purity of heart, working toward a purity of heart that says, my, my daily, every moment of every day, I am about the kingdom of God. And then manifesting itself in such a way that your outward life reflects it as well. Simplicity is about seeking the kingdom first, and it begins with that inward reality. Now, the central point of the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and everything else will come in around it. But everything hinges on maintaining that first, if you will, that center. Nothing can come before the kingdom of God, including, by the way, a desire for a simple lifestyle. Simplicity itself can become idolatry. Any of the spiritual disciplines, in and of themselves, can become idolatry when they're put before seeking the kingdom. In a particularly penetrating comment on this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, Soren Kierkegaard considers what sort of effect of effort could be made to pursue the kingdom of God. So here's what he says. He says, should a person get a suitable job in order to exert a virtuous influence? His answer, no. We must first seek God's kingdom. Then should we give away all our money to feed the poor? Again, the answer, no. We must first seek God's kingdom. Well, then perhaps we are to go out and preach this truth to the world that people are to seek first God's kingdom. Now get this. Once again, the answer is no. We are to first to seek the kingdom of God. So then he concludes, then in a certain sense, it is nothing I shall do. Yes, certainly in a certain sense, it's nothing. Become nothing before God. Learn to keep silent. In this silence is the beginning, which is first to seek God's kingdom. He's saying that everything around, even the best things we can think about doing, still miss the point, including the pursuit of simplicity, which ironically can make us less simple. Does that make sense? So as you're pursuing these things, let's make sure that the center stays the center, because to not seek the kingdom first is to not seek the kingdom at all. There are other concerns that are important, but the moment they become central, they then become idols, which means something other than the kingdom is placed first, and the other concerns of the world start getting inappropriate attention. But when we take the kingdom of God and put that first in our hearts, then that begins to then flesh itself out in ways in our daily life. But if anything in there becomes the priority, then things get weird. Then we become fragmented, and we lose uh, simplicity of heart. Now, as Jesus made clear in our text today, freedom from anxiety is one of those amazing things that God grants us when we seek the kingdom first. I don't need to be worried about God's provision for me, and because I don't need to be worried about that, and because I'm seeking the kingdom first, not possessions, not whatever, I can give things away. I can not spend my time worrying about, oh no, what is going to happen here, Uh, that that kind of faith that that engenders and that kind of focus to my life means that I can trust that God is going to provide for me. That doesn't absolve me of needing to, for instance, to get a job or to work or do things like that. The Bible talks about that as well. But what it means is even when I have a job, that provides income to my house, I celebrate that as a way in which God provides my family its daily bread, rather than the job becoming my God that now I serve and I hope that I can make enough money to put food on the table. Do you see the perspective switch and the difference and how one creates a heart that's very anxious and one provides a heart of peace? This is what simplicity is about. As Jesus made clear again, Anxiety is something that's characteristic of people who live fragmented lives. Neither the greedy nor the miserly, when it comes to money, are going to know simplicity of heart and to be dedicated to that one thing, which is seeking the kingdom of God first. It has nothing to do with abundance of possessions or lack of possessions, not in the Bible. It's an inward spirit of trust that we bring to life in general. And the sheer fact that somebody is living without things or that they scale their life back to almost nothing doesn't mean they actually have simplicity of heart. Paul taught us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I have discovered that sometimes people who have less money actually love money more. It's possible for a person to be developing an outward lifestyle of simplicity or not have a lot of possessions and still be filled with anxiety and be full of greed to the point of being willing to do things that they shouldn't do. Conversely, wealth does not bring freedom from anxiety. And if you know somebody who's wealthy, feel free to ask them sometime. I'm sure they will, they will amend that one. Freedom from anxiety is characterized by inner attitudes. For instance, if what we have received is a gift, uh, then, and what we have is, cared, is, is the care of God as we receive it, and if what we have is available to others, then we can possess things with total freedom from anxiety. The inward reality of simplicity is what anchors it down. But if I believe um, that I have gotten it myself, if I believe that I have to hold on to it, if I believe that what I have is not available to others, then I'm going to live in anxiety. I'm going to live afraid that somebody's going to take it from me or that God may not show up tomorrow and may not provide daily bread tomorrow or whatever that case may be. So again, simplicity is a way of heart that then begins to work its way into an outward Uh, lifestyle. So we in our society often have problems with both, the state of heart and the external manifestations of what's going on in here. We're fragmented people, and this is often reflected in our lifestyle. But treating the lifestyle without treating the heart will lead our lives to continued fragmentation over time, and so we must work inside to the out. So we've talked a lot about the inside. Let's go outside. I want to give you some steps toward living at a lifestyle of simplicity. Now, these are things that people who have really li- lived this life out and really spent a lot of time trying to develop simplicity and purity of heart have seen manifest themselves. And they are habits that can help with regards to um, developing a lack of attachment to things into uh, complications in life that take us off of that one thing that we need to be focused on. So, here are a few steps. Number one, reject anything that is producing addiction in your life. How do you discern what an addiction is? Look for undisciplined compulsions. Richard Foster tells a story in celebration of discipline of a student of his who had a, a habit of getting up every single morning and reading the newspaper. And he, it was something he just really couldn't live without to the point that if he was on vacation, he would go buy a newspaper in the morning first thing and, and get his hands on it, et cetera, et cetera. And his student said that he came out one morning his newspaper was missing. And so all of a sudden he was you know, kind of panic-stricken and he felt kind of agitated about it. And then he started to think about ways that he could swipe his neighbor's newspaper so that he could continue to read the newspaper. Well, that's an example of what he's talking about, right? And so he says that his student uh, called up, canceled the subscription, and they said, do you want to continue the Sunday-only subscription? And he said, no, i got to get rid of it entirely, and he got rid of it. See, it's that willingness to say, I recognize that something has an inappropriate hold on me. Uh, It's not adding to that one thing in my life. I'm going to give you one that we all probably deal with, or many of us do, And that is social media. How many times a day do you pick up your phone? How many times are you interacting with people in ways that may be more debate or that you read something and it hurts your heart to do it, uh, to read that? Uh, I got online last night and I'm going to tell you, uh, it was a liberating experience. I got on Twitter, which is uh, probably if you take Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, is kind of the three main social networks. Twitter is the one that is the roughest out there. Um, and what I did last night was I literally, I, I realized I was following more than 1,000 people. And very few of them were doing anything that really brought simplicity of heart, that encouraged me in any way. Um, and, and so I literally unfollowed everybody. Now, I'm not going to stay that way. I'm adding it back, but I'm going to be more careful about how I do that. I unfollowed 1,002 people yesterday, uh, and it felt absolutely incredible um and that doesn't mean you need to do that it just meant that for me at that point in time what i realized was that it was getting to a point where i would have a pavlovian response to my phone that was unhealthy Uh, and so i did something that i you know didn't think i would ever do which was just simply to unfollow everybody and start back from scratch uh and and if that's something you need to do think about it for some of us it's email Uh, Let me encourage you, you could do something if, if every time, like you're sitting there at night and you pull your laptop out right before bed and you start checking your email or whatever, and the reason you do is because it's coming in so fast and furious, do what you need to do to work on pursuing the kingdom first. And that means creating the headspace in the room for you to do things that are going to honor God and help you toward that cause. There's another one you can do. David Allen, uh, in Getting Things Done, calls it declaring email bankruptcy. You just simply, literally hit select all and you archive everything. And his take is that, you know what? If they really need to get a hold of you, they're going to find you. And if you don't believe it, uh, just stop paying your bills. They'll find you. But you can declare email bankruptcy, all those friends and everything like that, and just say, I'm going to archive it. I'm starting over and I'm going to do this differently going forward. Um, Whatever it is that has your, your attention inappropriately, Okay, get rid of it, okay? If you want simplicity of heart, whatever it is, and my guess is you probably know what it is, but be on the lookout for what those are like. Step two, develop a deeper appreciation for creation and enjoy creation. Why does that help? Because it reinforces the teaching in the Bible that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When you're out in creation, you don't own it. You don't own it. It belongs to God, everything that you do even your own backyard belongs to god if you're living the simple life Uh, that's what the bible teaches the whole earth is god's i have a particular bench located on a particular hiking trail here in escondido nobody's ever been sitting on that bench when i've gotten there in oh 10 years 12 years of hiking that same trail And I like to go there, and it gives me a great view of the mountains of Escondido from there. And sometimes just going and sitting there and reflecting on the beauty of creation takes my breath away, and it gets me centered and simple of heart. You can do the same thing at the ocean. You can do the same thing uh, almost wherever you are by just looking at a bird, looking at a flower, looking at things that testify to the fact that God is great and that he has provided great things for us to enjoy. Step three, don't accrue things. Reject accrual. Now, right now, somebody's spouse is pointing at them or uh, picking at them or whatever and saying, yeah, don't do that. But I don't think it's something that we usually do on purpose. It's something that we do almost accidentally. It just happens. It forms like, like plaque on your teeth or whatever. It just accumulates. I remember when Emily and I were first married, we... All of our possessions, when we left college and moved to the first little house at our first ministry up in Northern California, uh, all of our possessions fit in a very small truck. We didn't own much of anything. And when we got to the little house that we, we first moved into, we didn't have enough stuff to actually finish out this little house. And we didn't have the money to buy things to finish out the little house. So we actually had a couple of empty rooms in the house. Well, fast forward another 15 years, we now have three daughters who all have their stuff. Uh, we have advanced in our professional life more. We've just, over the years, accumulated stuff. Now, I have ball caps in my closet that I have owned since high school, okay? I am not in high school. I have not been near high school anytime recently. So I've got ball caps that really should have been burned a long time ago. I've got shoes that I have this emotional attachment to for some reason that should have been tossed out years ago that are still in the closet. Now, right now, I guarantee you, wherever Emily Spivey is right now, she is saying yeah, and she's amening, and she's standing up and raising praise hands in the house. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go take those things, and I'm going to begin the process of getting rid of them, okay? Tear. Because... It's bad. It takes away. It's just, it's, it, it, it adds up. We begin to accrue things. Now, that's just junk. Then there's the things that you know have a real hold on you. You know, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's cars. Sometimes it's houses. Sometimes it's, um, uh, you know, uh, status or fame. It could be beauty no matter what you do, you never feel pretty enough. And so you're always working on that or handsome enough. And you're working on that all the time. You're working on your body because you want to feel good in the eyes of others. All of that stuff, those are forms of accrual and they often present difficulties for us. You know, Marie Kondo, I alluded to her earlier. She's She's actually wonderful and she's relaxing just to listen to if you haven't heard her. But the idea of going through your house and if if it really doesn't do anything for you, just grab it and throw it out or give it away to somebody uh, might be a good idea. Um, Learning to enjoy things without owning them. You know, go into parks and places like that that are more public so you don't have to feel like you got to buy and own every single thing in your life. We like owning things because we like controlling things. So cutting back on some of the things that we feel like we have to own might not be the worst thing in the world. Lastly, give it away. And what I mean by that is sometimes, I'm not saying give away your junk. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying actually, give away things that matter a lot to you, that really do hurt to give away. Because um, those are the things that likely have the most firm grip on you. So these are things like... Uh, your televisions, uh, your uh, devices, to somebody who needs it more. Now, you're going, that's crazy. I need those things. Who doesn't have any of those things? Well, okay, if they don't have a hold on you or whatever, that, that, that's, that's okay. But go through your life honestly or have somebody else who knows you very well go through your life honestly and point out the things that you know might have a hold on you. That if you woke up one morning and somebody had stolen that from you, that your life as you know it for that near future would be completely uh, devastated. It's a thing. I'm not saying like your kids or something. I'm saying like a thing. a television, the car in the driveway, uh, the painting that you value so much. Give it away. Give it away to somebody who needs it. I know that sounds contrarian. I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds extreme. And you know what? From a biblical standpoint, Getting rid of things, if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, that's in the stream of what Jesus is talking about. Going through our lives with rigorous honesty and saying, these are things that I know uh, habitually or even at a one-time level I'm becoming too attached to. Simplicity is akin to fasting, which is what we explored last week. People can get too attached to food. They can get too attached to comfort, all of those things, whatever it is. Now, we have to have enough space to be able to explore that. When you're going too fast, it's really hard to get down to that kind of nitty-gritty level inside. So, we've been given a great gift in the midst of a really, really uh, long, difficult stretch here with COVID-19. Here's the opportunity in it. Most of our lives have been torn down to the studs. Your schedule's been cleaned. Uh, your obligations have been cleaned. Uh, you right now have a pretty empty calendar. You have, uh, depending on, on what your situation has been, if you've lost a job, you're in one situation. If you're not, you've got, you've got, your job has changed. The odds are. Okay? In all those cases, you have, we all have an opportunity to rebuild our lives in a way that is centered on the kingdom of God and that allows us to build our lives the way that God would want us to. I remember hearing a pastor friend of mine use an illustration in his um, in a sermon one time where he talked about the iPhone and how he went to go to pull his, You probably had this, I've had this experience, you pull out your phone and you go to take a picture and you can't take the picture because the storage on the phone is full. Okay, so you take that and it's like, sorry storage full, storage full, storage full that you you your past has so crowded your life that you can't actually move forward that there's no future because your past is taking over everything okay we have a chance here to do it differently right now that's that's one of the few silver linings in all of this is that most of our lives we have had an awakening uh, we have the ability to go, hey, listen, I'm going to not only build a different kind of life, but I'm going to allow God to do His sanctifying work in my heart and help me become a different kind of person. Now that, sisters and brothers, is a great gift, and that's what simplicity is about. There are There is another way to live than just tag your it style of running around town in our cars, dropping things off picking things up, running from here to there frenetically with no margin, breathlessly chasing after things that pull our hearts away from God. Now, a lot of those things can be brought to life and given new, wonderful meaning if, if the kingdom of God is first. So, right now we're going to gather around the Lord's table and I would ask you to gather with me there and here. The words of Jesus about what happens, about the way of life that exists when we're not worried because we know God will provide. We don't, we don't clutch at our things because we know God gave them to us. He cares for us uh, and that he gave them to us to be available to others. We don't spend our time, you know, um, in frenetic activity that's empty. We sanctify our time to God. And so as you get the chance, and I'm hoping right now is when that starts for all of us, let's go before our Heavenly Father. And when we take the bread and the cup, let's let the words of Jesus echo in our hearts as we do so. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, now, as we take the bread and the cup, which remind us of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us these amazing words that we didn't need to worry about what we were going to eat or what we were going to drink or what we were going to wear, But we know, Father, and trust that you care for us. And that just as you do great things for the birds and the flowers of the field, Father, how much more will you do them for us? And so today, Father, will you show us, this is a dangerous prayer. Would you show us where we need to simplify our hearts? Will you show us the good things in our lives that have become idols? So that, Father, we can put them in their proper place. And put you in your proper place. Will you, Father, now as we take the bread and the cup, would you remind us, Father, of what is most central to this life? And that is Jesus and his kingdom. We pray this now in his name. Amen.